2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11. If you are visiting with us today, welcome, welcome. And we are working our way through the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And the last few chapters have been a bit of a bloodbath. And um, some of that continues. 2 Kings chapter 11. Listen, this is God's word. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of Yahweh, where Athaliah reigned over the land. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of Yahweh. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of Yahweh, and he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One-third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate sore, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of Yahweh on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of Yahweh. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of Yahweh to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom. And the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of Yahweh. So they laid hands on her and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. And there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between Yahweh and the king and the people that they should be Yahweh's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. 
his altars and his images, they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of Yahweh. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of Yahweh, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Have you ever been to a family reunion? And I don't mean Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, one of those kinds of reunions. I mean one of those epic family reunions where uh, they come around maybe only every 10 or 15 years and the whole extended family and clan show up. And of course, everyone is 10 or 15 years older than uh, the last time you saw them. They're bigger and taller. They have less hair. There are more of them. And you look around and you recognize familiar faces, but you can't quite dredge up everyone's name. So you nudge your sister or your sibling or your spouse and you whisper, who's that big guy? Looks like a football player over there digging into the potato salad. And she says, well, of course, that's our cousin from Boston. Well, yeah, yeah, but what's his name again? Oh, that's Mike Jr. That's little Mikey, the scrawny kid who was so sick all the time. And well, who's the kid with him? The one with the barbecue sauce dripping down his chin. Well, that's his son, Michael III. Looks just like his dad did when he was his age. And on and on it goes. You spend all afternoon trying to figure out who people are and trying to remember their names, and you try to remember. Uh, all the lines of where families cross, you're trying to develop in your own mind a kind of family tree, and it's a struggle. You're lost in a sea of second cousins you've never met, a crazy uncle standing around the grill, and loud aunts who pinch your cheek like you're still seven years old and say, my, how you've grown, and on and on you go. It's just hard to keep everyone straight. If you have ever been to a family reunion like that, you are ready to dive in to 2 Kings chapter 11. The storyline most recently has had us spending our time up in the north, in the land of Israel. And we were especially in Jezreel, a kind of military fortress, an old capital, and in Samaria, uh, the actual capital, and you'd have to go all the way back to chapter 8 to remember uh, the king of Judah had been Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, and when he died, his son became, was uh, Ahaziah, and he became king. We're told Ahaziah was a bad king, and the reason he was a bad king is because his father was a bad king. Jehoram was a bad king, and why? Because Jehoram had married into the line of Ahab. This is going to be hard. Try to follow along. 
Ahaziah's mother, that is Jehoram's wife, was Athaliah, daughter of Ahab. That union had all kinds of geopolitical implications, but most importantly, it had significant spiritual implications for life in the land of Judah. But since then, since we were told that back in chapter 8, all of the activity was up in the north, where we discovered the worship of Yahweh was rare, uh, Joram, the son of Ahab, predictably a bad king, uh, teams up with Ahaziah, the king of Judah, and they wage war against Hazael, the king of Syria, even further north. You remember Joram was wounded, Ahaziah goes to visit him in Jezreel, and the reason for that visit was to comfort him as, as he was convalescing, but really the reason was the Lord wanted those two men in the same place at the same time. Because in the meantime, out of the blue, Elisha anoints Jehu to be king so that he might avenge God's justice against the house of Ahab, and Ahaziah was married into Ahab's family. So chapters 9 and 10 are filled with all kinds of bloodshed. Jehu kills Joram, the king of Israel, with an arrow. Uh, Ahaziah, the king of Judah, also with an arrow. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, by having her tossed out the window. And then the entire household of Ahab, anyone associated with Ahab, anyone who might be loyal to Ahab, is killed. Including... The relatives of Ahaziah who make a trip northward to come to honor or may perhaps to mourn with Ahab's sons who they don't know at the time are already dead. The whole royal family wiped out in the north along with all the prophets and priests of Baal. Anyone who had enjoyed the king's favor, especially because of Jezebel's influence. So Jehu does all that dirty work up in the north, reigns 28 years. Somewhere along the way, the story, as we pick it up today, turns southward. Our text could have begun, meanwhile, down in Judah and in Jerusalem. The first thing we're told in chapter 11 is we're reminded that Ahaziah is dead. Ahaziah has been shot through with an arrow by Jehu, and his men bring his body back. He is buried in the tombs of the kings of David. He's reigned just one year. Again, his father, Jehoram, was the evil king who had brought Israel and Judah together when he married into Ahab's family, when he, that is, of course, married Athaliah, Ahab's daughter. So Athaliah, Ahab's daughter, and Ahaziah's mother, upon hearing her son is dead, springs into action and wipes out the rest of the royal family in Jerusalem. Happy Mother's Day. Probably because she doesn't know who to trust. Anyone with any connections to the throne dropping like flies. But she also has her own designs on the throne, and she will reign for a period. And the problem here, at least from a big, big, big picture, is not that there's a woman on the throne, 
But the divine perspective of all this is she is not of the line of David. She's only married into it. It was her husband, Jehoram, who'd been the son of Jehoshaphat, who was a direct descendant, five generations or so down the line from King David, but her husband, Jehoram, is dead. Athaliah, the king's mother, Ahaziah, who has died, kills and destroys everyone in her orbit who stood in any kind of line to the throne. Another way to see this story is to compare her with the Grinch who almost stole Christmas from us and from the world. You see, you don't have to remember all the names of all your family members at a family reunion. You don't have to remember all the names of all the kings and all the successions in First and Second Kings. But you need to get this out of this story. Had Athaliah been successful, the kingly line of David would have been snuffed out. God's promise always and eternally to have a son of David on the throne, that promise would have been extinguished if that were possible. But it surely seems possible in this chapter. It's this close. But she's not successful, Athaliah. And here, let me take you back to the family reunion. Over there, where the children have their pickup game of softball going on, there's a woman standing on the sidelines, and her name is Jehoshaphat. We have never seen her before. We will not see her again. We don't recognize her, but she seems to have her eye out, especially for one child in particular. But here's where things get rather interesting. It turns out she is the daughter of King Jehoram, the former king of Judah, the bad king, which makes her sister to the recently deceased Ahaziah, and therefore also either Athaliah's daughter or stepdaughter. Again, happy Mother's Day. When she sees what her mother is doing in trying to level out and take out everyone who might impossibly be in line for the throne, she steps into action. She scoops up a little boy destined for destruction, and she stuffs him into a broom closet in the temple. Okay, it was a bedroom. Jehoshaphat meets the moment. She rescues this little boy and saves Christmas for us and for the world. Because the little boy, the toddler she scoops up, is not only her nephew, but he's the child of her brother, the recently deceased king, Ahaziah, that is to say, he is a target for destruction by Athaliah, his own grandmother, and the little boy's name is Joash. Jehoshaphat turns out, just happens to be married to a guy named Jehoiada. We learn from Second Chronicles, Jehoiada is a priest, which explains why Jehoshaphat has access to all the good hiding spots in the temple. They lived in the temple compound. And she's able to hide Joash and his nurse for six years. 
Most importantly of all things is not where they lived or where he hid out, but that he lived. Uncle Jehoiada the priest, Aunt Jehoshaphat, essentially adopt Joash as their own, save his life, and as it were, keep him incubated in the temple of the Lord until just the right time. Joash is the sole survivor, the last hope of the line of David from which obviously will come Jesus. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, watch what happens next. There's a section here of Hebrew text that's a bit murky, but Jehoiada apparently, as priest, is a man of influence. And he sends out and he calls from all the corners of the land priests, heads of families, muscle. And he does this not for his own advantage, but he does it for the people of God, for the kingdom of God, for the sake of God's promises to his people. And he enters into a covenant, into a, a, a relationship with these heads of families and priests and, and, and meatheads. And he enters into a relationship and he assembles them in the temple precinct and he swears them to secrecy. And as they're assembled, you can imagine this is something of a production. When they have sworn they won't tell anyone of what they're about to see and they don't know what they're about to see, Jehoiada brings out the boy. This is Ahaziah's son. The great, 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 great grandson of King David in a straight line. Let him be king. And so for the next little while, while uh, these men have their other jobs... They take shifts, and they constantly guard this little boy who's being incubated in Solomon's temple, the temple of the Lord, till just the right time. And Jehoiada arms these men with the spears and the shields that once belonged to David. You can imagine these are probably just a little outdated. This is not quite uh, contemporary technology, but it is more than a symbolic gesture. It's a powerfully symbolic gesture to be sure. It's pointing them, reminding them of God's promises to David, and they have a hand in this. Meanwhile, uh, in the meantime over here, Athaliah is reigning as queen. She's the only queen in either Judah's or Israel's history, and she reigns there, verse 12, until the boy is seven years old. And then when all things seem to be in place, Jehoiada brings out the boy, uh, has everyone assembled. It's a coronation, maybe a little bit, not quite like what you saw last Saturday, but maybe something like it. He places a crown on the head of this little boy. And he gives a copy of the testimony. What is that? It's a copy of the Ten Commandments. God's covenant word to his covenant people, gives it to the boy, the boy holds that in his hand. And Jehoiada proclaims, and the people with him, he is king. Long live the king. 
Joash, this young boy, the last descendant of David, the rightful heir to the throne, is crowned. He is going to take the place on the throne of the illegitimate throne holder, Athaliah, the daughter of King Ahab, who by this point is, together with his entire family up in the north and every Ahab sympathizer, wiped off the face of the earth because of Jehu. And in the commotion of this coronation, Athaliah hears the noise from the palace, and she shows up at the temple, and she immediately realizes what has happened. She knows who her family are. She knows she's got them all except this one. She sees him being crowned as king, and she cries out, treason, treason, as if she had been a legitimate uh, holder of the throne. She's pursued out of the temple, Jehoiada makes sure that her blood doesn't spill in the temple. She's put to death along with any and all who are loyal to her. But even this great moment is not the end of the story. It just keeps getting better and better. We might not expect much of a seven-year-old king, but watch what happens when a seven-year-old king is advised by and served by a great priest and has the following of loyal, faithful people of God. This is a good day in Judah. It's a a day when Jehoiada the priest leads the people in covenant renewal ceremonies. He reestablishes with them, renews a relationship they had with the Lord. He renews a relationship between the Lord and the king and the relationship between the king and the people. And and this begins a a new commitment to honor Yahweh. And that gets demonstrated as the people leave and they head off and and they destroy, they find and destroy the altars of Baal and the temple of Baal and they kill the priests and the prophets of Baal. Where did they come from? Undoubtedly, Athaliah, daughter of Jezebel, or stepdaughter perhaps. Order and purity are restored to the temple. The newly crowned king, after this, we're told, is brought up to the palace, sat on the throne, and he is king over the land at seven years old. The people rejoice. They rejoice at his coronation. They rejoice at his enthronement. Everyone Uh, lives happily ever after. There's peace in the city. Everything's great, at least for a while. And we end a story feeling rather positive about life in Judah. And we recognize here, this is a story about about the near extinguishing of the line of David, but now brought to rescue a new life with this little boy, Joash, and we know this is going to culminate in the arrival of Jesus, of course. But there's even more going on that makes this story even richer and such a delight for us. Notice how much of this story itself finds parallels in the life of Christ. And we could begin here, and I want to begin here with Genesis 3. 
the promise that there will always be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and the prediction that while the seed of the serpent would at times appear to have the upper hand, the seed of the woman ultimately wins. There's a kind of deep, deeply embedded conflict pictured in this chapter between evil and good, between the seed of the serpent and the one remaining seed of the woman who's also a seed or descendant of David. We might remember, for example, another rescue like Moses in the basket in the river saved from the destructive power of Pharaoh who wants to eliminate the competition. Or we might already, I'm sure some of you are there, remember the toddler Jesus, saved by his parents in their flight into Egypt, one step ahead of the jealous, murdering Herod who sought to eliminate every threat to his throne. And Jesus, the sole, ultimate survivor of the line of David, the one who hangs on a cross beneath a sign that says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And who in his death does battle with and defeats Satan and all his hosts, all his angels, every spiritual power on earth and in the sky. And for a moment in that darkness, it seems all is lost. It seems as if the seed of the serpent has conquered. And instead... Jesus in his resurrection is presented to us. We say, long live the king. The one who came as the very word of God, fulfilling every promise of God, because God's word would not fall to the ground and not do its work. The one who came as the temple to cleanse the temple, to restore right worship. The one who is the king and in whom all these Old Testament pictures coalesce and find their fulfillment. And the one who is enthroned in glory at his ascension, which, by the way, some of us will celebrate quietly in our homes this coming Thursday. Jesus in his ascension is seated, seated on the throne. And what does he do? Through all of his work, in his death and resurrection, in his life, in cleansing the temple and in being the temple and being the priest and the sacrifice and being the king and the word of God, the prophet, all that Jesus does to restore to us a right relationship with God, to effect for us a kind of covenant renewal and commitment that we now have as people who follow God. As God says to us, I will be your God, you will be my people. And Jesus throws down strongholds. And our response, like the people here in this chapter, is what? We rejoice and we have rest. Thanks be to God for 2 Kings chapter 11 for the salvation of Joash and for the salvation of Jesus in his resurrection when all seemed lost. And thanks be to God 
for the salvation you have in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these great Old Testament events and stories told to us in the pages of your scripture. We praise you for your unfolding plan. Even in those moments where it seemed dark, we know you were able to continue your work. And you give us these little glimpses of glory, dramatic rescue events that remind us of your great and ultimate rescue of your son from the grip of death into which he had entered for us and for our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for your glorious ascension and, and your being seated at your Father's right hand, ruling and reigning over all things, for your word, for your perfect sacrifice, and for your continued reign. Lord, receive our thanks for the salvation of Joash, for the salvation of Jesus, and for our own salvation in him. We ask this and we offer it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say together, amen.